If you had to define what it meant to be religious, what would you say? Would you talk about going to church, making the sign of the cross, or prayer? And if you were asked about freedom of religion in our society, what would you say? Would you talk about the separation of church and state? Or perhaps would you say that religion is being persecuted during the pandemic because churches are closed or the services are limited? For most of us, religion is about the ceremony. But as we see in today's passage from James, religion has nothing to do with ceremony. The bottom line, true religion is about how you walk the way by helping those in need and not showing favoritism within your community. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm Father Dustin, your host. Today, I think, will be a celebratory podcast, simply because we'll finally make it out of chapter one of James, and hopefully into chapter two. This is our goal, anyway, and I think we can do it. So we have one verse left in chapter one to discuss, but I want to remind my listeners of verse 26, the second to last verse in chapter one. So verse 26 said, If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Now that's a very harsh condemnation of people in the first century by James. Here, religion has to do with how you're walking the way. But then he continues in verse 27, and this is the last verse of chapter 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for the orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Here, religion for James is not simply going to church, but putting God's law, God's instruction, into action. For James, this is religion. So, in Greek, the word used for religion here by James is thriskos, and it means ceremonious in worship, pious, religious. And some scholars think this comes from the root word throeo, which means to wail, to clamor, uh, to cry aloud, to make a noise by an outcry, or uh, sometimes to trouble or frighten. This is a very interesting root for this word. In other words, James is contrasting public religion and its ceremonies with the way one lives their specific life, how they put their religion into action in their everyday life. I think what James is getting at is that it's very easy to do religion with the outward observances. I think that's probably the best way to think about it, is outward observances. So for us as Christians, maybe this would mean singing the right hymns to the right tunes. It would be kissing the right icons, lighting the candle, making sure the priest has the proper color of vestments on, all these sort of outward observances. And many people confuse these sorts of things with what James is calling true religion. 
Okay, so we want to make sure the chants sound nice. We want to make sure that the priest looks nice. We want to make sure that the church is properly lit or that the correct incense is on the censer so that things smell nice. But ultimately, that's not what God is concerned about. As we say in Psalm 50, or in 51 in the Hebrew, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And I think James is getting at the heart of what he believes Scripture means by that. In other words, if you want to think about it this way, many of us believe that religion is something that is imposed on us from the outside. Say this prayer, go to church at this time, do this thing that's a part of this ceremony, and you are religious. But James is turning this around, and he's saying, no, 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 to be truly religious is something that comes from the heart, and it is something that means that there is no distinction between peoples, and it's acknowledging that some of us are more equal than others, and when that happens, we help those who are disadvantaged. Here, James mentions specifically the orphans and the widows in their distress. He mentions the orphans and the widows specifically because in the first century, the orphans and the widows are the people who have no one to care for them. They are the outcasts of society at this time. Because orphans no longer have parents to look after them. They don't have a father to pay for housing or food or education. And the same for the widows. We have to remember that this is a patriarchal society in the first century. And the widows didn't have a male to represent the family in public, to do public business, to interact with the public. And this is how most people, especially in the cities, would have made their money. They would have had a business where they would have had to interact with the public. The women remained on the inside of the household, doing the cooking, the cleaning, the raising of the children, these sorts of things. So if there was no male in the household because he had died, it left the family at a disadvantage, a family that didn't have a male to look after them. So they were dependent on others in society to give them food and housing, things that they needed to live. And so James is pointing out that if you really want to have mercy instead of sacrifice, you need to look after these people who desperately need mercy. By changing the idea of religion from ceremony to walking the way, as James has done here, completely changes the conversation about the role of the church in our society. As COVID struck, most Christians were concerned with how they were going to hold services. They were concerned with the ceremony of religion. How can we gather? How can we continue our ceremonies? Can we live stream them? Do we have to social distance when we hold them? But if we're following James here, the question is completely different. The question for how churches should operate during COVID isn't how do we continue to conduct services and the ceremony, but the question for James might be, how do we look after those who are losing their jobs? How do we look after those who have sick people in their families? It's interesting. I'm a part of my Metropolis strategic plan. And one of the tasks we're undertaking is visiting other churches to see how they do religion and see how engaged they are with their worship. Our goal is ultimately to see how we can properly engage our folks in worship. But one of the 
parishes that we visited, when asked about how they responded to COVID, said, well, we went and we opened three more churches in poor neighborhoods, and then we sent two interns to partner with other churches to start food banks and food pantries. Wow, (laughs) that's impressive. While most of us were arguing about how to conduct ceremony, this church was going out into the neighborhoods to make sure people were cared after. Now, I won't mention the name of this church because their glory comes from God, but I want to show a contrast of what James is talking about here. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, he says, is to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In other words, we shouldn't get caught up in the politics of the world, in the ideals or ethics of the world. We have a God who tells us what religion is and how we should be behaving. With that, let's properly move into chapter 2. So this is the New Revised Standard Version, starting with verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, Have a seat here, please, while to the other one who is poor you say, Stand here, or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? So that's verse 1 through verse 7. James does exactly what I did. I took that previous verse at the end of chapter 1 and I applied it to today's situation with COVID. What James is doing is he's now applying that idea, this care for others, this love of neighbor, he's applying it to their own assemblies. And he's applying it to probably situations he has seen in their own communities. In other words, people have come into their communities and people flock to those who are wealthy, to those who look nice. Their clothes are in style, they have fancy jewelry on, and the community is favoring them over other people who come into the assembly who don't have the right clothes. Maybe they smell. Maybe they're missing their teeth. Maybe they haven't bathed or washed their hair in a while. And James is saying, this is upside down. This is the way the world works. If you're favoring this rich person over the poor person, then you are stained by the world, to use James's vocabulary from the previous chapter. This very first verse sets it all up. So, in the New Revised Standard Version, he says, My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? 
So it makes that verse into a question. But is it? Remember I talked about how important it is to be able to read the original Greek or to compare different translations. So let's look at it. So that was the New Revised Standard Version, and here is what David Bentley Hart does with it. My brothers, hold to the faith of our Lord of glory, Jesus the Anointed, without any respecting of persons. Period. But here's the difference. Notice, one is a question, one is not. And they are both positive. Now let's look at the New Jerusalem Bible, which says, My brothers, do not try to combine faith in Jesus Christ, our glorified Lord, with the making of distinctions between classes of people. So this one's in the negative. Do not try to do this. Which translation is correct? So if we look at the original Greek, so what it literally says, and I have to turn the word order around so it makes sense in English a little bit, is, my brothers, do not have faith with favoritism of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory. The New Revised Standard Version, it seems like the question mark isn't there. If we look at David Bentley Hart's, he's changed it from a negative to a positive sentence. The New Jerusalem Bible says, My brothers, do not try to combine faith in Jesus Christ. So it is negative, but do not try to combine faith in Jesus Christ, our glorified Lord, without the making of distinction between classes of people. So the word combination there, try not to combine, and between classes of people, both those do not appear in the original Greek. So you can see how translators take liberties with the original text. Now this doesn't mean that they're wrong. It means that we should recognize, in some sense, it's not just a translation, but also a commentary by the translator. And this is why it's always good, if you can, look at different translations. But the point here is that what James is talking about is that we can't show favoritism if we are Christians. And this was the problem with the community that favored the rich person over the poor person. But how often do we do something similar in our churches, in our communities and assemblies? How often do we favor the people with money over people who don't have money? For example, aren't we willing to glorify the person who's donated something to the church by putting their name on a plaque? Would that be similar to giving them the best seat in the community? Or how often are we willing to overlook requirements for stewardship if someone donates enough money? Would this not be the same sort of favoritism that James is preaching against here? Now, there's a story that we've probably all heard, and I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I think it goes along the same lines. There's a story that a pastor at a parish dressed up as a homeless man. At the beginning of church, he sat outside on a bench in a dirty coat, possibly with a fake beard, somehow he had disguised himself. But he sat out in the front of church as his parishioners came in. And not a single person welcomed him. Not a single person invited him inside or said hello or asked him if there's something that he needs. Well, when it came time for church to begin, of course, everyone's sitting in the pews waiting for the pastor to show up. They were wondering, where is he? Why isn't he here? To their surprise, All of a sudden, this homeless man who was sitting on the bench outside came into the church, walked down the aisle, and into the pulpit. And there he removed his hat and his fake beard or whatever disguise he had on, and people realized that it was their own pastor. 
of course, that became a lesson for them that Sunday about how they treat people who are different than them. But the point is, there shouldn't be favoritism within the community. We need to show mercy to all. And in fact, James pushes it even further, and he says, Has not God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? And this reminds us a little bit of the Beatitudes, where it is the poor who are favored over the rich. And he goes on, But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? So he's pointing out the hypocrisy. When a rich person comes into their community, they show him all sorts of favors, even sitting him in the best seats. But he says, is it not the rich, though, who make your lives miserable? So why would you want to be kind to them? Now, you have to remember, in the first century, this was a world where the rich lived off the backs of the poor. Herod and the other aristocrats lived in Jerusalem or the other cities in their palaces, while the poor had to work the land and then pay the taxes so that Herod and the other aristocrats could live a fabulous lifestyle. And in fact, this is where Herod got his money to go on his building program. I've mentioned this before. Herod, more than any other person perhaps in Israel, in the ancient world, or even today, undertook a building program that was quite extensive. And then his sons did the same thing. They also went on building projects. And where did the money come from to fund this? It was off the backs of the poor peasants who had to farm the land and pay the taxes. So James is reminding them that this is how the rich treat them. When they come into your assemblies, why are you praising them and giving them the best? After all, is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? And is it not they who blaspheme the name that is invoked over you? So James here is pointing out their hypocrisy. In fact, God himself in Scripture also points out this hypocrisy. Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, does not come as a rich man. He does not come as someone powerful with a lot of political influence. Instead, he comes as a simple Galilean peasant, perhaps a carpenter. And when he dies, he is not given a state funeral as if he was Caesar. He dies as a common criminal naked outside the walls of Jerusalem. It's very interesting. When Herod the Great died, he feared the peasants. He knew he was disliked by the majority of people. And he had arranged it that when he died, the army would commit mass murder so that people would be wailing and moaning at the time of his death. Now, the irony is they wouldn't be wailing and moaning because he had died. They'd be wailing and moaning because of everyone he had murdered. Luckily, after he did die, that order was not carried out. But this is the sort of mind that James is warning people against. He's reminding them that Jesus presented himself as poor, someone who didn't have a place to even lay his head, someone who was seen as a common criminal and hanged on a cross. And this is how the glory of God is shown. 
not as a rich person with rings on their fingers and nice silk clothes. And James is saying, in those communities formed around Jesus Christ, in faith, there can be no partiality. Everyone has to be treated equally. And if someone is in need of something basic, like the poor and the widows, your Christian duty, if you're going to live out your faith and walk the way, that is, practice true religion, as James puts it, is to help those who are in need. So James doesn't hold back here. So next week we'll pick up with verse 8 of chapter 2, and we'll see how James continues to prod and poke this issue and what he has to say about the law and how the law understands all of this. So I'll see you next week. God bless. God bless.